0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of of the Cup Reviews, brought to you by Cup of Hemlock Theatre. I am the marketing manager and host of uh, this panel today, Mackenzie, and we have a great panel with us today. First off, we have our literary manager, Ryan Barakovich. Hello, Hello, Ryan.
1: Thanks for having me back.
0: Thank you. This is your, I don't know how many appearances you've done now. Well, I've been in all but
1: one. And the only (laughs) one I wasn't in was Mackers when Bridget was with us last. So I'm glad I get to be on this one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. And what's in your cup today?
1: Uh, so, in honor of Pericles and all the water imagery, I am drinking water. But I actually have an interesting cup here that fits this theme. I don't know if you could really see, but it's just like a plastic cup. I don't even know where we got this, my family. But it has fun facts about water written all over the side of it, including a big description on why we should drink water. <laughs> and, Love that. Yeah, so seemed fitting with all the shipwrecks and the tides and tempests in this play.
0: Perfect. Amazing. Awesome. And then next we have our new general assistant of Cup of Hemlock Theatre and our longtime friend of the company, Ms. Jillian Robinson. Hello, Jill. Hello, Mac. How are you? I'm well. How are you? What is your ensemble today and what, what is in your drink? Right. Okay. So, of course, I'm wearing a little
2: blue sort of smocky, um, mm-hmm. you know, Gives you the vibes of the currents, the waves. I have beach glass earrings today, though. I managed Ooh. to have these in my in my back pocket during quarantine <laughs> times, which is lovely. And they're also Filling. blue. And then for my drink, I have a maritime martini. Mm. So I, just, I wanted to get a little creative with the drink this time. So it has a little bit of gin, vodka, blue curacao. Gives it that blue vibe and then just a little lime on the side and then i also have water to refill the glass when the martini is done so no i will not be drinking bottomless <laughs>
0: martinis <laughs> perfect and then we're so excited to welcome back to our show after her wonderful appearance on our Mackers panel way back in episode three but long you know a friend of the company miss bridget wilson hello bridget welcome back Hi, hi, Maggie! Yeah. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we got we got you back for another episode, which is fantastic. And what is in your drink today? Well, it's uh, a little wine because I guess I like to
3: wine a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but that's not all, you know I, know. I have to have my water.
1: There you go, on theme.
3: <laughs> heard from the last time, but this goes on for two hours, so I will probably do more of this. Than this. That's fair. Love it. <laughs> I think double fisted is what's happening. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I had a piano bone shaker, because I thought that would be kind of right for the pirates. Yes. Mm-hmm. I thought, no. Two hours, no. No. <laughs> <information>. Thanks, folks. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> and also, like, are your glasses, do, are, are the frames blue as well? Like, It almost looks like you got a bit of a blue nautical theme with the glasses now.
3: I, I didn't intend that. I wore a faux
0: pearl.
4: Oh, Ooh, like for beer. <laughs> <I couldn't laughs> love
0: that. I couldn't
3: quite, couldn't quite find an outfit. I just. Yeah, neither did yeah,
0: I. Yeah, <laughs> I just went, oh, per- yeah, I, got a per- I got a pearl. Sometimes it's all you need. Just a pearl. Pearl is one of my favorite parts of the production, so that's mm-hmm. perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then for me, going with blue, so I got blue all over, I got my blue Stratford. This is the play tie. Uh, and then for my drink, I have blueberry, blackberry, crystal light. Ooh, a fancy for Mackenzie. Once again. So we're shaking that up. And then I have extra made just in case you go really long. I'm going to replenish my cup. So we have all of that. But today we're talking about one of, in more modern times, one of Shakespeare's least done productions. I mean, back in the Elizabethan time, it was done frequently. And now it's kind of fallen off the map a bit. And we're doing the Adventures of Pericles, which Bridget, you were in. Mm-hmm. I was.
3: I was in both productions that we've done recently.
0: That's oh, perfect! Mm-hmm. Oh, great. So then you'll really be able to talk to us about the differences about the stages and doing it on two different stages. Perfect. So who were you in this one, and then who were you in the last one?
4: Well.
3: After watching it again today, I realized that I was basically the evil stepmother both times. We <laughs> call woman who runs a brothel a kind of stepmother. That yeah. Was I was the woman in the brothel? The mm-hmm.
4: yeah.
3: And last time I was Diana. mm
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> Much <laughs> more oh, like, Yeah. Yeah. So conniving. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> It's it's perfect, it's perfect. And this production was in the uh, 2015 season, right? Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah, it was in the 2015 season and it was done on the Tom Patterson stage. The old Tom Patterson, we're gonna get a new Tom Patterson in the next season. Uh, but this was done on the old Tom Patterson stage, same place where we recently seen and of Athens done. We've seen, what else? What, um, uh, King John was just done there. And I don't know if the last few will be done there, because we still have R&J, we have Othello, Merry Wives, uh, Taming of the Shrew. Anthony and Cleopatra Uh, next week. Yeah, 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 I I, I, I think this may be our last Tom, Tom Patterson show. Oh, but the new Tom I know.
3: Patterson is going to be beautiful and it is
0: I'm sure. like the old Tom Patterson. Mm-hmm.
1: That's um, good to know.
0: Perfect. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Yeah, because it's a beautiful stage. It's a really unique uh, bit of stage that I love being in there. So it's wonderful. Okay. So, why don't we just kind of dive right into this? Uh, play. Diving water. <laughs> diving, I know, some more water. <laughs> All the water puns are coming out today. Uh, Tip
1: waitresses, folks.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, but our kind of our first topic of the night is the titling of this play. So, this play has had numerous titles throughout its uh, time on stage. I mean, sometimes it's called The Tragedy of Pericles. Sometimes it's called, like, the, and in this case, it's called The Adventures of Pericles. Sometimes it's just
1: called Pericles. Sometimes it's, Pericles, Prince of Tyre, most commonly, yeah. Yeah. Very There's powerful whole, comma yeah. there.
0: Exactly. Exactly. There's a lot of different titles that kind of come up with this play. So what do we think of uh, the, uh, this version of the title, The Adventures of Pericles? Do we think it suited the play, and uh, does this title change kind of uh, re uh, reformat the play to be more epic rather than, uh, like, say, traditionally dramatic. Uh, Jill, why don't you start us off tonight on this topic? Lovely. Yeah. So
2: when I back when I was um, in theater school and theater and drama studies at U of T Sheridan, um, the mm-hmm. classical project that our third years did uh, the year above me. Um, half the class did Comedy of Errors; the other half did Pericles, Prince of Tyre. So that's how I my first production of Pericles was addressed. Um, and I found that because of that title and the way mm-hmm. that that adaptation, which I will say adaptation because Scott wentworth had said in the pre chat that this is one of Shakespeare's works that pretty much every recreation of the work is an adaptation mm-hmm. in its own. Um, mm-hmm. We really were focused more on Pericles, uh, the character. But what I really liked about the title of this version, The Adventures of Pericles, it
4: mm-hmm.
2: sort of played more into the fact, again, going back to the pre-chat, where um, this isn't just a story about Pericles. And in fact, quite quite easily seen in this production, there's two heroes seen, you know, there's Pericles, mm-hmm. there's Marina. Um, and so I think that um, also the, the whole idea of cycles and circles that again was brought up in the pre-chat. It kind of gave this ethereal vibe to the whole piece too, which reminded me of like an Alice in Wonderland. They were talking about how it's kind of like there's little, it's very episodic, it's very magical. Um, And so... That, again, kind of led into, you know, the adventures of Alice in Wonderland or the adventures of Pericles. Um, mm-hmm. And then again, building into the second part of your question, Mac, of like, does it make it more epic as opposed to dramatic? Yeah. a lot of this piece, and I feel like a lot of Pericles pieces in general, do sort of lean towards more of like the epic Brechtian sense of theater because there's always Mm -hmm. that realization of hey you're watching a piece of theater like here's a song junket or like a a piece Mm -hmm. of choreography and so again having a title as broad as sort of the adventures of Pericles as opposed to um just you know giving it to the titular character sort of bleeds into all of those um those elements too Mm -hmm. and uh yeah so and again that the fluid there's no fluid chronology in this piece too it's it's very much an adventure you don't really get Mm -hmm. a through line you kind of get Mm -hmm. little little pockets of pericles Mm -hmm. too so you're kind of meant you're set up as the audience member you're already set up to kind of go on maybe an adventure of theater as opposed to just watching Mm -hmm. a piece of theater um Mm -hmm. and it's setting you up to see snapshots of the character Mm -hmm. as opposed to um giving it it, its titular name and thinking that again like a hamlet or a Macer's, you're following that one character so Mm -hmm.
0: yeah yeah perfect bridget Mm -hmm. since you've done this twice what was the uh title that they used when you did it the first time and
4: i think i'm
3: remembering that we just called it pericles but maybe we just shortened it ourselves i'd Mm -hmm. have to find that script and go back and see Mm
1: -hmm. but when i
3: give credit to saying i did it i always say Mm pericles Mm-hmm. I loved what Scott Wentworth said. I'd forgotten this in rehearsals mm-hmm. that that uh, Wilkins called it the painful adventures of characters. But mm-hmm. but I also just love the word adventure because
4: mm-hmm.
3: you don't even know if the adventure is going to be good or bad. Mm-hmm. So you know what I mean. So the, yeah. mm-hmm. the way it's sort of. Set you up for what is what is going to happen if it's mm-hmm. an adventure? It can go yeah. either way. So, mm-hmm. so I kind of like the adventure of Pericles better than mm-hmm. just Pericles, uh, mm-hmm. Prince of Tyre. Although I guess we're giving we're giving a nod to the original material
0: when we just call it Pericles, Prince of Tyre. <laughs>
4: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Ryan, as our resident uh, TA as well as literary manager, what title do you prefer? <laughs> Well,
1: I I, I don't know which one I prefer. Like, I think this, this adventures was fitting and like yeah for many reasons that like to take a historical look bridget like you mentioned this was from the pre-show that yeah there was this little novel that wilkins wrote in like 1608 i think it was that the the painful adventures and if wilkins is in fact the co-author of this work then it makes sense to kind of pay homage to that heritage scott in the pre-show said that was that alone was the reason for choosing it but like even if you look a little further like on the cover of the 1609 quarto often shakespeare plays on the titles have like or on the cover pages of these long subtitles that we like tend to shorten when we're just talking about them colloquially but uh, I wrote it down here because I think it's interesting The one of the three subtitles on this play is with the true relation of the whole history, adventures, and fortunes of the prince. So right even there, adventures is somewhere the title. We could have just as easily called it the histories or fortunes of Pericles but I think adventures has a bit more of a, an interesting flavor to it. Mm-hmm. And there was also an important line that I kind of clocked while watching it, that it's in uh, Act 3, Scene 3, it's after the tournament when Pericles is introducing himself to Thaisa, and he says, I again wrote this down, because Mm -hmm. of course I did, uh, my name is Pericles, who, looking for adventure in the world, was by rough seas, wrecked of ships and men, and after shipwreck driven on this shore. So he mentions his own adventures, even, in the plot, and like in the dialogue, so I think yeah, there's enough precedent wrapped up in all of that to think that Adventures is an appropriate title for this. Mm-hmm. To get to like the second part of the question though, where you're like, does this choice of title make it more epic than dramatic? I don't know if the choice of title itself is really responsible for that. I think the title is just tapping into what's always been there and this is a more epic play than most other Shakespeare ones. It is very episodic. Like you said, Jill, it kind of really does break with the Aristotelian unities of time and space by having it just over here, over here, another shipwreck another landing like uh, winding up all over the place it reminds me more of like kind of like a corne corne's seed more than like anything in terms of the playfulness with those unities and of course to even go back further into the aristotelian definition the fact that it has an extra-diegetic narrator in the form of Gower, which I know we'll talk about more shortly, Mm -hmm. that, like, if you go right back to Aristotle and Plato, like, one of the definitions of epic was that it's not the characters speaking in their own voice, it's the narrator, the author, as they said, because they didn't have a profound sense of that distinction back in those days, but it's the, the narrator intercut with the characters was part of the difference between epic, whereas dramatic was just the character speaking and lyric was just the author speaking. So yeah, this is a very epic play. And I think the title does suit that just fine.
0: Yeah, I mean, I- I'll say for me, I really enjoy the title because it reminds me of those kind of great Greek uh, ancient poems you would read mm-hmm. growing up. Like, I don't know if that was just me growing up where you read like the Iliad or the Odyssey before you go to bed at night, but that's like what this title reminded me of. It's that kind of big epic story that you're going to be hearing with all these little mini adventures that you kind of can pick up on throughout this, throughout this bigger piece. And I think, and that's why I really like this because it kind of sells it to the audience as this kind of action event of the summer where it's like, come on out, we're going to take the kids, we're going to go see the adventures of Pericles versus the tragedy of Pericles, where it's like, okay, well, that's not going to really help. Sell it to younger masses who may not know this play.
1: The I saw it kind of, yeah. in Toronto a couple of years ago. There was a production called The Comedy of Pericles, which I unfortunately didn't get to see, but I wonder what that one, like there is a lot of funny stuff in this show. So to really like lean into that and make it, treat it as a comedy. Yeah. Also- Maybe the it was all that-
0: done in Sock Puppet.
1: And the mm-hmm. fact that it does have a happy ending means that, as far as Shakespeare is concerned, it would fit the class of comedy. Although romance is the one that is more appropriately designated, that we'll talk about that yeah. later too. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we, <laughs> will. Jumped we will. Jumping ahead too much. I know, Ryan. <laughs> Drink your water. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think this title is absolutely wonderful. And I really, do, and I really do think it helps sell what this play is to a very modern audience who, for the most part, don't know what the heck this story is. So minute you say it's an adventure or something, you're already back there going, okay, I know from from the post, we got some guy, He, uh, in this case it's Evan Ewing, with like the hair all wet, so it looks like he maybe is at sea, and it's this big epic adventure, so yeah. There's that, uh, Bridget, I want you to lead him on the next one because you were in the rehearsal room with this where, uh, where, 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 where like the reworking of Gower, the uh, quote unquote kind of core, <laughs> choral narrator of this story, is kind of reworked in, in, in a new way for this production where the, the, his part was kind of uh, dispersed among many people, mainly uh, Diana, the goddess. Uh, so, what was that kind of like for you? Because, I mean, you've done a production with Gower and now a production where it's a reimagined Gower. In more of a choral uh, character instead, like, I, 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 like, what was that like for you? And do you find that enhanced your, your 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 concept of the text?
3: It didn't bother me at all. I mean, it's probably there it was probably ten years between the two productions, <laughs> uh, and you know you can't get around the fact that Diana does show up at the end of The Adventures of Pericles. Mm-hmm. So I actually thought that was quite brilliant. That thought. Uh, turned her into the narrator that he mm-hmm. that he he brought it into more of a female world, a spiritual mm-hmm.
4: world. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so so it didn't bother me. The you know the first time I guess was just the the, the traditional way to do it, which was mm-hmm. you know a dude up there. In our case, it was lovely Tom Marriott. Um, mm. And you know, and he and what what uh, Leon Rubin did was he kind of uh, he, he, he evoked. Uh, gower from you know from chaucer's time that mm-hmm. that poet brought him up through the trap he was basically in a mm-hmm. diaper mm-hmm. and and it was you know there's a lot <laughs> there was a lot of like uh, i think that's when we were doing the you know the sail cloth and, mm-hmm. it, and so the sailcloth started to work with the sails of the ship and but but yeah he kind of came up out of the brain and, and shared that mm-hmm.
4: skill so that
3: worked too but but I think uh, for 2015, I, I thought Scotts um, weaving Diana into telling that story was just perfect for the time, and, and it just made it made a lot of sense to me. We also yeah. appreciate it as females. I mean, you know, maybe we talked about this the last time I was on the panel. It's you know, it's a very very male centric world. The plays mm-hmm. are just very male, and so mm-hmm. it was lovely to have an opportunity. In 2015 for, yeah. for, for the women to to be part of that narrative mm-hmm. yeah um mm-hmm. and not just the you know the the evil woman in the in the courthouse mm-hmm. the and the mm-hmm. stepmother it, mm-hmm. it was actually empowering i think to play those uh those nuns or goddesses or whatever they were it was, it
4: was lovely
2: just to briefly mm-hmm. touch on that too bridget like, yeah this piece really um combed through the different levels of, of women from from like childhood all the way until like a character like Diane um, and you saw like the 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 sort of like stereotypical positive and negative sides of of the female and that was something really enriching to watch throughout this production in particular for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah uh, I mean Ryan as uh, our literary manager and I, and, and I know you've probably combed your way through the play I mean, like, what are your thoughts about Gower and and do you like this kind of reimagining of it?
1: I liked this a lot. In fact, like, so secretly I have my own... Idea of if I was directing what I would do with Gower and I may or may not mention that in this spiel because I don't know if, I'm sure someone somewhere in the f- last 400 years has done it so it's probably not that creative but but I thought like this was a really like like you said Bridget kind of bringing in that Diana figure that does show up in the end and is then revealed at least in this production like really leaned into revealing that figure to be full grown Taisa which was a great way of handling the fact that Dara Hay was playing both of those roles and you couldn't have her be both of them on stage at once at the end and like there were some really great moments in terms of like how that Diana role was embodied throughout this play like there's one in fact Bridget this was in one of your scenes in the brothel and you might remember exactly which one I'm talking about but uh, so Marina is kind of like in her suffering and she kind of prays out and she says, uh, again, I write, write, all these things down. I've got my notes. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, I just skipped ahead of the order of it. Uh, yeah. Marina says, uh, Diana aid my purpose in a big prayer. And then suddenly uh, Marian Adler is playing Diane just like shows up kind of in the corner there. And then uh, Bridget, you as Bob and bolt start like laughing <laughs> and you say that uh, what have we to do with Diana? So it's like this, like beautiful, like paused beat of just like uh, the prayer being answered in that moment, and then the fact that the double casting of Diana and the nurse—that this isn't just the goddess that she's seeing, but it's like the person from her childhood who raised her, essentially, who she's recognizing in that moment when her prayer is answered—is like really touching. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of like what a useful like way of framing that. Like, but and, like what just last little comment on Gower, I will say is because in addition to just having Diana take on this role. It's a little more complicated than that what this production did because it didn't just have her saying the Gower lines. It was done very chorally, like broken up between characters, often singing for some of the portions of it. Mm -hmm. And like, I thought it was really interesting the way that like portions of the monologues were. It was pertinent to one character. It would be that actor to say that portion of it. But the moment that I thought that was maybe the most clever is actually in the interval between, I think it was Acts 1 and Act 2, there was this Harvest song that, at least in my version of the text, I know every version is malleable a little bit. uh, So maybe it exists in another one. I don't know if, Bridget, maybe you know if Scott came up with that full cloth or if the composer of the production did the Harvest
3: Of Mary Nadler, who played Diana, wrote mm-hmm. all the lyrics for those songs.
1: Oh she did. Wow, wow that's right. very impressive.
3: She also wrote all the lyrics for our songs in Mary Weiss Windsor.
1: That's amazing.
3: So <laughs> so she she took I guess she took the words and 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 elaborated, and then Paul Shilton wrote the music together. Right. So, yeah. Well, Diana really owned those songs. That's she so cool. She wrote those songs
1: oh that 's even more impressive than I thought it was, like what I was going to say about it that I thought was interesting is in that actual like Gower monologue at least on the version of the page that I have. Uh... Uh, it ends with, and this is kind of like one of the sort of recurring schticks of the play, is that Gower is a bit of an unreliable narrator, and he kind of has this self-referential way of saying like, why are you even listening to me when you can see it right here in front of you? And in that, the very end of that monologue, that's usually at the beginning of Act Two, he says, again, wrote it down." <laughs> uh-huh. But tidings to the contrary are brought to your eyes. What need to speak I? And the fact that that line was cut and replaced with the harvest song makes me think well scott agreed that what need have we for gower to say contradictory information in this moment so it was very gracefully cut and yeah i I was very happy with the portrayal of Mm -hmm. this like framing device character in this piece Mm
4: -hmm.
2: and just to speak speak to that yeah brian um -hmm. just you had talked about too how some of the some of gower's words were placed upon the company itself too like Mm -hmm. Diane and I really like that too because it, it created more of like a reality and relatability in certain moments because I think Gower can also act as one of those um elements of you're watching a play you know where you're caught, you're taken out through yeah.
1: this character Meta, to be like, you know, so yeah.
2: you know I'm walking mm-hmm. you through I am your guide through this piece mm-hmm. but sort of having those words live within a lot of even the characters themselves would be the ones saying the line about themselves um it just allowed more of a uh, personalizing to the text because I think there was enough elements to sort of act as as like the epic nature of it. So um, yeah, it, it gave more agency to, to some characters that I think are, are would be seen as supporting or smaller roles and that was just mm-hmm. a, a really unique way of um, molding that differently too.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Perfect. I mean, I will say I love this um, uh, a- a- adaptation of Gower because I just felt it made the story flow better. Like mm-hmm going uh, 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 going back and rereading a little bit of the play last night before going to bed, uh, just reading it going, Gower's acts, t- times off when he comes in, he often kind of just stops the play because you know he's the outside narrator. So it kind of just halts the act whenever he starts to talk. It's like, oh, yeah, hold on a minute. like, <laughs> like Tableau on stage, spotlight on him. So the fact you're able to kind of melt that away and just have this story that kind of bounces all, all over the place, actually you have a nice flow to it. Uh, really kind of allowed this story to kind of move at a really great pace.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> like and, a current, like a wave. Yeah, oh, <laughs> a wave. <laughs> Earth,
0: like a wave. <laughs> exactly. And, and and the musical numbers really just enhanced that. I mean, I mean, oftentimes what we say in musicals where when a person can no longer uh, speak, they sing. sing. And yeah. and, and, it's, and you saw that with like the pearl and all these great kind of numbers that were kind of gave you this further advancement of these characters mm-hmm. in a really kind of unique fun way and I and I love the music it was, it was kind of remind me of a lot of those kind of great kind of musicals right where, where you ha, where they have to get a lot of exposition out of the way and mm-hmm. they do it through song like I'm thinking like um what's there some big ones well you got um uh lovely ladies from Les miserable. you got to get through an entire sequence of uh of Descent but you're gonna do it in like a three minute song that's what this music or this play did where like the harvest song just moves that story mm-hmm. along right away, and then like the pearl song ha- acted as this great kind of character bookmark between uh, father and daughter. So it really, yeah, yeah. did come as like the peaks
2: too. Like mm-hmm. it was like a moment. It's like oh, I'm ready for a song now. Like I'm yeah. ready for this choreography yes. to be happening. And the first moment too in this piece, it was it was the full cast singing. Mm-hmm. I had goosebumps all over because mm-hmm. again, it was like that. Oh, okay. We really are on on an adventure, and, and it was like mm-hmm. a grand opening of of uh, it. Just added so much more flavor and character mm-hmm. to uh, to start us off, too.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and and then, and, uh, yeah. Oh,
3: Gojo. I loved how um, Scott had uh, given the lines to the other characters instead mm-hmm. of going yeah, on, uh, that they owned part of the story exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we were called on many times to. I mean, I loved rehearsing the ship scene. And we rehearsed that for hours where we and we had we had to strategically move it to a point and assign people to be changing uh Evan's costume from behind us.
5: Mm.
3: Move it and there was an inner circle and an outer circle and that of that movie. And, oh. and so we kind of all own that story. I will say, as an actor in both productions. There were a lot of costume changes and as scott pointed out in the conversation like if you did that where you assign every part to an actor you don't see the actors right yeah but Mm -hmm. but when i played Dionysa, i was also part of the um i ran off and did full geisha makeup because we did our um uh, tournament um like a samurai presentation there was a whole fan dance that we had to Mm -hmm. learn um so I was constantly running and changing mm. in, in major makeup, and, and and even then, when I watched Heracles from uh, 2015, I, I realized how many scenes I was in. <laughs> <laughs> just the broad. I went, oh, I thought mm. I was in that.
4: <laughs>
3: but it, you know, those those kinds of shows, especially when the, you know the director asks you to participate. Mm-hmm. Really, and wherever you can fit in, you, you forget mm-hmm. how many costume changes you have at end of mm-hmm. it. Um, but I did love how he 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 divided the text. I thought that was cool, yeah that, mm-hmm. that they were part of the stories. Well.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a great bit of uh, um, baton passing where like where like you, where like the audience can track the the story moving just by the way who's talking and, and and moving that plot point forward yeah it's it's scott did a really great job and i agree i forget he said it in the cast round he basically I, I i i think it was david collins who said it we're like scott like uh, scott Wentworth used to like copyright his version because i could see a lot of people <laughs> being like oh this is like the best way to do it like i i, I could, he did such a great job adapting this we're like you, it easily could become something where other people will want to tackle it this way. Cause it That's so why hard. I'm
1: afraid to say my idea and it's not nearly as good as this one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, I mean, a question, just a quick side question for Bridget. I mean, like out of all the characters you play in this production of Pericles, <laughs> did you have one you kind of look forward to doing every night? Like, I, I, Your big kind of part was the, was the brothel keeper, but you had a lot of these fun little uh sporadic roles that kind of pop up throughout the show too like is there one where you're like every night you got there and was like yes this is like this is my favorite kind of bit to do
3: mm-hmm. the opposite the mm-hmm. one I hated doing was the one where I had to come in and report the ship arriving oh. <laughs> <laughs> Because my corset was so tight and I had to come in running and I had to be loud and strong and full focus and I couldn't I couldn't bend over. Okay, so Bridget,
2: sorry, it's funny you said that because when you ran in, I could tell you were wearing a corset, and then the way you were placed
3: on those steps, I was like, wow, she is, she is really she's taking control of this. Movie. But I have to tell you something else. They missed my entrance during the performance, so I had to do it three times or four at night, because they just got me running in to do the line.
4: Oh. <laughs> I was
3: doing that at 10 o'clock at night. And I was probably really tired, and I couldn't do. It.
4: Right. Wow. <laughs>
3: that's that's background stuff. But um, I love doing the bod. Um,
4: mm-hmm.
3: It was. You know, it's not. It. It was. It was. I'm not gonna say me being nuanced, but mm-hmm. it was nuanced because we talked about at the beginning of rehearsal. Um, we talked about human trafficking. We talked mm-hmm. about um, we murdered missing women.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and we just, I tried to make it as real as I could that she was a commodity,
4: mm-hmm. and
3: uh, there was no room for sentiment. I was a businesswoman, mm-hmm. and I was a good mm-hmm.
4: businesswoman. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, but you know, in that world too of ugliness
4: mm-hmm.
3: um, and pain, I you know I still tried to find some humor because you kind of gotta mm-hmm. let it off a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but. I did, I was saying after I watched it again, I spent time when I wasn't running, doing a costume change and doing my myriad of parts, um, uh, taking pictures of all of the actors in Victorian death uh, photos. Do do you know? Yeah. Yes. Victorian death. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. These pictures of the actors like dead. (laughs) Um, And and then I was also posting uh, a name of a woman that was missing each performance. So mm-hmm. I thinking, you know I was trying to kind of balance to, mm-hmm. to play the body each and every time. So I, I can't say that it was hard to play but because I did find a balance I think for mm-hmm. me but but the running in the course of it is difficult.
0: <laughs> Not the marketing too. department, at straffer must love you because every time you do a show you're always got these great little bits of social media you're doing whether it's the backstage videos with macros or like doing these Death mask, uh, Victorian photos. Mm-hmm. Like, Margaret must be like, yes, like, what's Bridget gonna do this year <laughs> for us? Well, the, first, the
3: first one I did was during King John. And so the three women of Angiers we had all this time. And I would get us out lawn bowling, buying hot dogs in the loft. <laughs> like, and I made a calendar, and the proceeds of the, of the sale of the calendar were toward a Guthrie Award for someone in the wardrobe department.
4: Oh my gosh. Girl. But
3: anyway, so I had a great fun that first time and it just kinda of continued thing and then it continued until so I did the, the witches one. But mm-hmm. um, but anyway, sometimes the the of those things um, just help with the weight of the material. But, yeah. but yeah, so yeah, all those all those bits and pieces. And then of course um, mm-hmm. you know, we, we have a lot of undercutty responsibilities mm-hmm. responsibility here mm-hmm. as well. And um I was David Collins understudy oh
4: okay yeah so Hmm.
3: I had to watch those scenes and be be available to to step into his um wonderful shoes because he Mm -hmm. that part so beautifully Mm -hmm. um yeah
1: when we when he had his one messenger line at the beginning did you also have to wear a corset for that or would you have taken his costume? (laughs) (laughs)
3: You know, we never had had to do it. We never never missed a show, but you're right. It would have been a kind of, yeah, we would have had to do a dominoes effect of whether I, yeah, I have no idea now. I can look at that again. (laughs) Call Scott
1: and ask what he would have done if (laughs) David called him sick one day.
3: (laughs) I love reading the comments and the questions because uh, often I don't partake in them, but um, Mm -hmm. it was my idea for the broken arm thing. Oh nice, yeah, yeah, good touch. Based on um years ago I did Count of Monte Cristo and at the end my neck got snapped and the person put, put a plastic cup under one of the soldiers' arms and when my neck went he crushed the cup. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we got to do this Pericles and they were doing this whole thing of David fixing the arm and what they were gonna do and I said just put a cup under Ryan's <laughs> arm and it might have it might have been a water bottle. I can't remember what they decided on, but it's fascinating to look
4: at the, all
0: those little tricks and details that went into things. I love that. A lot of great little behind-the-scenes fun there. But you kind of alluded to where this uh, production is set, Bridget, which is during the Victorian period. I mean, like you did the, um, the Victorian death uh, 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 photography. Uh, photos. <laughs> photography. which is yeah. great because, because that's actually part of mine. So I'm just going to kick this one off. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I thought this was what worked perfectly because one of my first notes is the victorians obsession with the afterlife and death Mm -hmm. particularly the concept of seances and the dead and being able to speak with them and communicate so the fact this play features um, The almost rebirth or like the reanimation of someone who they think is dead. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh right off the bat That's a great kind of bit then there's like other things from like the victorian period such as the fact that like in that time period, oh, like outwardly, all the like, Victorians were very sexually repressed people, but then behind closed doors, they were very risque in body. So the fact that like in, in, in Pericles, you have the concept of outwardly, you wouldn't know about the incest uh, at the top of the play, but behind- Unless you're
1: doors, very good at riddles.
0: Unless you're very good at riddles. So looking <laughs> at that concept of what goes on behind closed doors sexually? In, in, in this world. So that was another part where I was like perfectly Victorian fit and also that's talked about even in the cast uh, reunion where it's like the sea and the fact that in the 1800s. Uh, the sea was a big part of like, people leaving Europe to go sail across to, 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 to the new land. Uh, us basically like going uh, going and reclaiming having these adventures on the high sea. So I was like perfect. Another great reason. And then the last one was class like the Victorians were obsessed with class. Like, like uh, it's a thing of wherever you're born, that's your status. So the fact that, like, class kind of gently pops up throughout the play, like uh, uh, the fact we have Pericles being kind of as this penniless uh, man, but yet he ends up marrying the princess Thaisa, just kind of shows the goodness of her father. Then on the other end of it, you have Dionysia who who is worried that um, Marina's uh, uh, looks and beauty are a threat to her daughter's station and status because in class. so She has to get rid of and kind of remove her from the picture. So I just love I thought this was a great setting for the for for the play. I, Scott clearly kind of knew where he was going with it. Mm-hmm. Um Ryan, what do you think
1: about Well, you kind of touched on most of the points that I had. <laughs> uh, one, you, one that you didn't mention was that Ooh. this very Dickensian feel of the brothel itself. Mm. But otherwise, it's kind of, yeah, all the same ideas you checked on. But one thing that I do also think is interesting is while overall the production has a very Dickensian kind of or Victorian mm. feel to it, and the costumes certainly illuminate that, mm. there's also a lot of scenes that are completely from a different time period, like the tournament in Tarsus, for example like that felt like right out of the medieval times and since you know this is like and they talked about this and i don't remember if it was the pre-show or one of the other like interview featurettes but they did talk about how there is this like undercurrent of medievalism like with the fact that gower is the one telling the story a medieval poet from chaucer's time and Yeah, but I like it really, I think it's just so interesting, like something about this play, and maybe this comes back to the adventures that we were talking about at the beginning, it is unmoored from time in a way, it really just feels like a fairy tale more than anything, and the fact that it's like the main plot, like or the plot itself is just... Canonically set in the ancient world, in like what would be modern day Lebanon, Turkey, and Greece, like Tyre, Tarsus, and Ephesus. Um, but yeah, and then it's like, but it's then told through the eye of a medieval poet, written by early modern playwrights. Now told in a 21st century Canadian production that's making it look like the aesthetic of Victorian England. It's I think, yeah, there's something in here is just really interesting about this sense of fairy tale timelessness to it. Mm-hmm. That's all I had to add to your great Love insightful it. points, Meg.
0: Oh, thank you. I mean, Bridget, for you because you alluded to when you did your first production, you had that bit set in uh, the samurai kind of j- uh, Japanese setting. But like, where was the rest of that production set compared to like this one? Like this, uh, uh, where was that? Or where was that one set? It,
3: um, the first one I did was mm-hmm. very much Eastern. Um,
0: okay. So, mm-hmm.
3: it wasn't really based on the names of the places. It, mm-hmm. I've done this, it's felt like a travelogue, right?
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Whether you've been to those places or not, those names don't exist, but, you know, one is Turkey and Greece, and but ours was much more Eastern. Um, my Dionysus and our I wore a sari. Mm-hmm. And then, as I said, the tournament was set in Japanese. I can't really remember how John Goad was dressed, but it, it mm-hmm. just had a more Eastern feel to it. And so mm-hmm. The names of the places didn't really, they, they didn't, not, but they didn't matter. It, it just didn't mm-hmm. dictate what uh, Leon decided to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe that was his designer, I don't know. I'm mm-hmm. wondering how much of uh, Scott's Heracles was, uh, Patrick Clark, the designer, or him. Mm-hmm. I think the basis which the assistant designer mentioned in the comments is that it was kind of the golden age of sea travel. And that, I think that mm-hmm. was the nugget. That's where they start. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and and then it seems, I guess it seemed to make sense to them to set it in the beginning time. Mm-hmm.
5: Um,
3: the beginning of the play is interesting. Um, it, there's, there's something just so innately uh, Dark and evil about it. When I was in the first production, um, um, my husband brought my son, and he, he I don't know how old he was because I can't remember which year it was. Neon um, set the first scene, you um, know, really kind of primitive setting, and there were um, there were skulls on pipes on stage. Ooh. So we had the skulls in both productions, but the Victorian one was all in a nice curio cabinet.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: But in Leon's, they were on these spikes and my son just said, to "My husband, oh, we got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. Get out of here!" And he said, "What's wrong?" And he said, "Is the whole play is scary?" Mm-hmm. And that was without a word of, of dialogue or, or understanding what was being said. with mm-hmm. There's something about that. First scene that is so disturbing, and it doesn't, I guess, it's not necessarily the words, but it's interesting. Both directors, mm-hmm. The um I mean, I, it, there is reference to it in the uh, text, obviously, but, um, but yeah. Yeah. On that yeah.
1: note, I really loved in that like China cabinet with the skulls in it. That the back was a mirror, and then when mm-hmm. Pericles has his line about the mirror that reflects mortality, or I don't remember the exact. I did not write that one down, <laughs> but but yeah, I just like to see his reflection while looking at the skulls. In that moment, was like a very potent image.
3: And you know mm-hmm. what's creepier? Those skulls <laughs> were all from actors that had been in the company. I'm not talking like their skulls. Yeah. No. They were, they were modeled off actors for other productions. So Wasn't some, that
1: a plot point in Slings and Arrows?
3: <laughs> it was, but they actually, they actually some of our people recognized their own um, face. Wow.
0: <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. I love that. Jill, what do you think about the setting?
3: Yeah,
2: that actually um, bleeds right into a couple of my notes. Um, So yes, I was fully enthralled and I thought setting it in this era was um, a wonderful, climate for this piece. Mm-hmm. And because my other experience with Pericles, like I said, was the year above me back in theater mm-hmm. school, they had done it, it back in like, in the like, traditional sense of like Shakespearean mm-hmm. time. So the only thing that I find, uh, there's a lot of, when we talk about the elements of themes and motifs, like you said in your question, Mac, um, mm-hmm setting there's so many things that this piece I think offer that really can be hit on the nose today in today's era or, or throwing it in even more of a recent past era if that makes sense um so to me I've sometimes saw it as a bit of a safety net when talking about like the incest scenes the prostitution scenes the assault moments um, it was uh comforting to know that those sort of scenes as unfortunate as it is was kind of normal behavior um for an era of that time but it's just now that i've kind of seen two period specific pericles i would be interested in seeing a lot of these scenes played out in more of a modern light and just to Mm. see if that can pack a bit of a political punch too, because I do agree this piece does offer a beautiful tale esque like ethereal vibe. Um, mm. But then there is those low moments when the tide is lower that you do feel that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think too, by maybe placing it in more of a present time um, and quite honestly, maybe having some sort of ramifications of Me Too movement <laughs> vibes, um, it would allow certain characters like Marina um, and the other women in the piece to have a bit more like socially accepted agency and ferocity Mm -hmm. that i think again would just add even another tier of what it means to be woman or what it means to be female Mm -hmm. in in a male-dominated society so Mm
4: -hmm.
2: um not just this era particular this victorian take on it but i think uh, like i said the piece i had seen before was traditional shakespearean i think what it does is it kind of keeps I picture like like a, a model ship in a bottle, and mm-hmm. it, it keeps the story like contained in the bottle. And that's there's nothing wrong with that. But I think you we can push we can push that that envelope a bit more now. And so uh, going forward, seeing my next Pericles, I would be interested to see if if um, a more modern kind of light is thrown onto it too.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Well, we'll have to see who like, who does it next. Yeah, just and again, just like we were her.
2: chatting about too, Scott Wentworth, uh, Deborah Hay, and Evan were saying, like, it's such a restorative and adaptive, there's so much liberty to the piece um, itself, right, like every every Shakespeare work you get, whether it's the Arden, whether, you know, like, that, the piece is different, so it kind of opens up such a liberty and a broad mm-hmm. span of, of how you want to take the piece, and I, I think there's nowadays there's bigger moments and there's bigger themes that i think could really be hit on the nose and woven right into the the Mm -hmm. adventures in the fairy tale as well but just just Mm -hmm. to give a little bit more of relevance to it too
0: yeah yeah. for sure perfect okay all right bridget you're you're going to kick off this next question because we alluded to what this question is going to be uh but so this production was produced on the tom patterson uh, and then, like, how did that particular uh, thrust stage uh, affect the show? And then, do you think uh, that this production would, could, could easily translate to the festival stage, or do you think there's something unique about the Tom Patterson stage that made this production that that that, that unique X factor uh, version of the show?
3: I would say there was there's no mistake that. A lot of people have said forever and ever that the Tom Mm -hmm. Patterson space was their favorite theater. Mm -hmm. There is an intimacy there um, that doesn't seem, we can't seem to replicate even in the studio, which is a much Mm -hmm. smaller space. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: Um, That extreme thrust throws the play right in your lap. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: Nobody further than, I don't know statistics, but not very far from Mm -hmm. the action. It's a challenge for the directors and the actors. You, you have to know, you, like you see me moving a lot with mm-hmm. Deb when I when I was assessing her. We had mm-hmm. to. You have to keep moving mm-hmm. to get the a whole audience to see the action. Um, mm-hmm. But it does. It does remain the, one of the favorite spaces. I think that it that this production. Really benefited from that intimacy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that the points that were being made about uh, human trafficking and and redemption and all those things, we needed to Mm -hmm. go on that journey personally with those people that close for it to have that kind of impact. Mm
4: -hmm. I
3: would say the other production I was in was Mm -hmm. beautiful festival theater, but it does require something else. It's very difficult. Mm-hmm. can replicate that uh intimate and experience so um leon rubin has directed like circuses in, in uh i want to say valley but i'm not sure if that's mm-hmm. right that ours had that element we had mm-hmm. um pericles uh, propelling from the cupcake we had Gower coming <laughs> up we had mm-hmm. a pageant it really was a pageant the whole thing um, was very visual. It was much stronger than visual. Whereas I think mm-hmm. we were afforded uh, a, a better chance of, of just getting to to know those people involved in the story because we were that much closer to them.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. I love that, Jill. Looks like you want to jump on j- jump on top of this.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, so I I do think I mean the latter half of this question being uh, you know how does the thrust stage affect the show? Like, I think regardless, the staging of this, mm-hmm. Wentworth did such an amazing job of, you could mm-hmm. essentially place this on any type of stage or any thrust, mm-hmm. the chemistry between mm-hmm. the cast, and like you were saying, Bridget, like even the moments of 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 intertwining everyone and so that there's mm-hmm. a particular position for, so I you could do this basically on any stage, but what's really lovely about um, contrasting the Tom Patterson to the festival to me like the Tom Patterson yeah like you said Bridget it's it's in your face and also it's quite angular like you really are getting that rectangular thrust vibe whereas I always see the festival as being more of like a in the round thrust so the fact that Scott's um interpretation of this really did revolve around this cyclical nature of things and he mentioned in the chat too Deborah Hay leading that charge and and you were even saying too Bridget there's so many um moments where where there's circles so uh you know like um all of the the characters that deborah hay plays like she she does that that cycle walk a lot of the times there's circles where folks are in the focal point you know like after the duel it's taiza and pericles and the, the dueling knights are around them even the whole idea of of building the ship it was sort of like an oval within mm. this rectangular space so i think it allowed us to focus more in on on the fluidity of the staging mm-hmm. so so it's funny it's like the the space itself contrasted the staging of it but it allowed you to kind of draw in so like a an example where maybe um for example when we when we reviewed love's labors Law, so that was done in the festival. And I remember when there was moments where a lot of the company was on stage, mind you, we're watching this through um, a video lens. So we were able to zone in on certain characters, interacting and such, but I can imagine when you're in a grandiose space, as a festival um, and in the round, and you're kind of seeing everyone in a round circle, those moments might be lost, but Mm -hmm. having, you know, having the ability to play on the vertices of, of the uh, rectangle, sort of like the bursts where it wasn't circular, that again caught your attention. Like right before the intermission, you had Taza, the nurse and and Marina, and they're sort of at different vertices of the rectangular thrust. That moment just like sunk so much more for me because it was in contrast to these um, circular patterns too. Um, I have notes as well. So let me just make sure I'm I'm grabbing all my points here. Um, we had already talked about this too, but just the cycles of women, um, you know, the, the idea of virginity, the idea of becoming a woman, the idea of things coming full circle in this piece too, like the different, um, you talk about like a, a family, a family tree or, or even like, there's just, so having that within this sort of like within a box within this uh, space was, was lovely to, um, to watch and I believe that is all from my notes.
0: <laughs> Perfect, mm-hmm. Ryan.
1: Um, yeah, so I don't know how much I have to add to both of those uh, <laughs> great, detailed comments. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's something interesting in the phrasing of this question, the way you kind of put it to us, Mac, because you asked in a way to like tell me if I'm misquoting you, but you asked like, can we like take this exact production and just put it onto like the festival theater? And would that change things? Like, of course it would change things. The blocking would be all off. It'd be a stage manager's nightmare to have to like coordinate all of that. But I think if like this same production, if Scott was approached and like told, okay, you're going to be doing this in the festival and he took all of the same concepts, I think, like, they're both thrust stages, but the, the festival certainly is a much more inset thrust, and it doesn't jet all the way out into the audience. And it kind of does still preserve some of that proscenium arch style and i think both of these uh types of versions could work really well into the meta theatricality of this play but in a bit of a different way uh because like in the tom patterson when it jets all the way out into the audience that really to me calls to mind like the festival like carnival-esque like pageant type of theater that really does like folk theater get into the audience like in the character of gower however gower is portrayed diana or the ensemble in this version could really like, yeah, get the audience going and be right up there with them and like bring them into this like kind of grassroots. And it is very medieval, which is very on brand with like just the way theater was done then and with the figure of Gower in general. If you put it on something more like the festival stage, I think it actually like it could still be meta-theatrical in that way but it would have to be blocked very differently because I would recommend if say I was directing this or at least kind of just choreographing a lot of it I would have all the Gower business happen right at the end of the thrust to preserve that same sense of coming out into the audience and drawing them into the story but then have everything else take place much farther back to like the other side of the proscenium so it'll be like I am Gower I exist outside of this world and I'm telling you to come into this story that is happening in this like memetic sealed box and so like yeah i think it could really work either way and it would still like preserve that same ethos of what the production's trying to do but it would have to really be deliberately done one way or the other
5: mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. I, have, I, mean, sorry, uh, I have two more <laughs> little like within the box shapes that just came to mind so the um the spotlight that goes on pericles right before he's about to lose the duel there was like that moment of stillness It's just like this perfect circular spotlight that again, Mm -hmm. there was that image of like, oh, wow, okay, different (laughs) type of circle here. But again, Mm -hmm. the whole, it's almost like Diane creating this safe bubble
1: uh, What moment. I even loved about that is the pause. is was like slow motion. It almost felt like the end of the Matrix when I can see the code, and that's yeah. why I'm able to win the fight. It was or like or such like a... In,
2: in water, you know, there's so many yeah. like action or war epics you mm-hmm. see where there's the underwater scenes or, you know, where or Game of Thrones, like the, the... We talked about Game of Thrones with Mackers too. I don't know what it is about Game of yeah. Thrones. And we and talked
1: Thrones. about it a lot with King John last week.
2: <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it created that water vibe. And one, sorry, one last shape if we were to kind of look down at the tom patterson um okay. we talked about this moment of when diana there's a moment where she's being gower in this moment and all the other um nuns gather to sort of like sit up to her it's almost like she's the vertice of a triangle and then they all are kind of spread out as such and it almost seemed like it was like a shore or like she was like a lighthouse or something and that again like they were coming in to this peak so i just would love to to sort of a side tangent but like to to watch the performance from an aerial view, I think would be so neat to see all these shapes interact and and mold into into the adventure too.
3: You know, Mac, Mac, a, lot people, yeah. a lot of people say the um, front row, the balcony of the festival is where we all the shows.
4: Right.
3: And I will say too, you know, we're acutely aware when we're performing, I don't know if you're aware of this as an audience member, but you often see the play through the actor that's in front of you. Mm-hmm. You are you are witnessing it through their viewpoint. So, um, so yeah, it, it's just it's fascinating to think about where Gower should have been, Ryan. That's that's mm-hmm. an interesting thought. I should we be watching it through him? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> he,
4: yeah. because he
3: sits on the outside, right? And that's another. Mm-hmm. Point we should say is that no other Shakespearean play has this separate voice. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that's why people think that, you know, that Wilkins, like this was more his thing, that he wrote the mm-hmm. beginning of the play, he wrote mm-hmm. the novel scenes as the, as the panel pointed out, um, mm-hmm. and the pirate scenes, but, there, mm-hmm. but there's, we have to mark that Shakespeare didn't write anything else like this with that
1: yep. mm-hmm. like the closest i think is like the chorus from henry the but even that is mm-hmm. very different from what we're given here yeah like, yeah
0: yes mm-hmm. absolutely i mean for me i think this production really is meant to be on the tom patterson compared to the festival i mean it, it, if you're saying can it move i mean you can move any production i mean that's why we have touring shows that can move from show from place to place but for this what i think made it uh, special was that the Tom Patterson really allowed the focus to be on the company versus on the set and, and, and the theater itself. Like, like when you do the uh, show on the festival, there's a lot more things you can do with set and, 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 and kind of bigger things that, that kind of, like when we're going to see Mary Wives, she had that great set of uh, of the 1950s house. Or like, I remember when we did uh, 12th Night with Des enough there, he had like a giant broken mirror. On stage, but here, like Tom Patterson, like I, I remember going to see a whole bunch of shows there. The set is always very limited because because of how because of how long the thrust is, because you want to keep that as unencumbered as possible. And what that allowed this show to do was really let this show sit with the company and highlight the wonderfulness of all your interactions and all that baton passing you're doing. And I think if you move it to an, a theater like the festival where the thrust isn't as big, and you're and you're on and you're on you and you're in this much bigger Uh, space, uh, audience-wise, stage smaller, bigger audience, that that you kind of lose that. Because I think you're right, Bridget. What's nice is you get to be the audience getting really up close and personal with the actors in this wonderful company that Scott assembled for this show. So I I really do think this show was meant to be at the Tom Patterson, and Scott knew because he's been there with the festivals for so long that he knew exactly how to utilize his space the best potential
1: and speaking of the set a bit, like can we just take a moment to appreciate some of like the minimal like staging and like images that were created like they use the hell out of that bed and like probably like mm-hmm. six or seven different scenes of just pulling out this same bed and like turning it into a boat turning it into a brothel like the i, I also just love like the use of that tiny sailboat during like most of the gower monologues but and like that was a great image like with the fingers and like kind of a bit of a mosh pit kind of idea of mm-hmm. turning that with the like blue light into the sea like they did a lot with a little here and i thought it was really a point in its favor so i'm glad they did it in the tom patterson with minimal resources
0: mm-hmm. yeah okay all right so now we get to head into a little bit more of the play side of things because we've talked wonderfully about the actual production but so now when we get into the play this is this play is known for having a very famous ben johnson quote that goes with it where he says, Pericles is a moldy play. What exactly do we think he meant by calling it a moldy play? Ryan, as, so, as a master's student going for his PhD. <laughs>
1: master's but, graduate, thank you very much. Um, you can't go for your PhD if you're still a master's student. Um, sure,
0: you're a master's <laughs> uh, graduate going for your PhD. Like what, uh, like what do you say?
1: So I think this is twofold because on one hand, so much water in this play ha 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 it's moldy uh-huh. on the other hand this is ben johnson snidely saying this isn't a very good play and i am expressing that through the water imagery ha 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 it's moldy um but what i think is really like i don't know the Mech, you may know this better than i do what is the context in which johnson said this of the play
0: see i i i, I tried to find out more of the context i mean the only thing i could find was that he started saying this quote when the play started getting really popular Mm-hmm. among among performances, so kind of he kind of caught on after he kind of saw that it was being produced quite a bit.
1: Because what I think is really interesting about just Ben Johnson in relation to Shakespeare in general is we know that Ben Johnson was, in some level, like, involved in the publication of the first folio. We don't know to what extent, but he wrote this introductory poem, the look not on his face on this picture, but on this book. Mm-hmm. So... And Pericles is one of the two currently accepted 38 canonical Shakespeare plays that is not present in the first folio, two noble kinsmen being the other. And yeah, like it wouldn't be included in a folio edition until the 1664 third folio, which also included six other plays that we no longer consider to be canonical. And then most of the copies of that were lost in the Great Fire of London of 1666 anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But either way, like I think... There is something like really interesting and deliberate, maybe of Ben Jonson going on the record to "I don't like this play very much; it's moldy," and using the moldy pun because of all the water stuff. And maybe there's—I don't want to like conspiracy theory this thing, but maybe that had something to do with like a deliberate editorializing of why this play didn't appear in the First Folio. And I don't think we can take the fact that it's co-authored by Wilkins as like an obvious reason, because Henry the Eighth is in the First Folio. We know for a fact that was co-authored by. Fletcher. Mm-hmm. Other plays like Time of Athens, Titus Andronicus, even Macbeth to a certain extent that we have like somewhat conjectural theories that they may or may not be co-authored are in the first folio, so mm-hmm. I don't yeah, have much more to say about why Johnson said it, but that's something I think about in relation to that.
0: Mm-hmm. Bridget, what do you think? Why do you think this play is called a moldy play?
3: Well, I've done Ben Johnson as well, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it is like in bartholomew fair that was the north american premier here at stratford mm-hmm. like talk about your adventure we had ursula mm-hmm. the big woman we had you know a kid smoking a cigar like it was just, <laughs> it was it was under a tent i mean it was, mm-hmm. it was a real circus um i think that what i've heard is that uh this is one of shakespeare's later plays when Mm -hmm. when the romances became popular um that's what he started to write and johnson preferred classic plays even though he didn't necessarily write classic Mm -hmm. he 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 preferred that Mm -hmm. type of theater Mm -hmm. so Mm it it was i think it was just him saying he he wasn't into the romances Mm -hmm. i think that's Mm -hmm. what i've heard
0: yeah Th- that, make- that makes sense to me. Jill, what do you think?
2: Yeah, so I I kind of read the, the quote and I was like, well, I mean, in this production too, like it, it's obvious the water is apparent, but like I said, the other mm-hmm. Pericles that I had seen, there was a lot more water infused into the production. Like quite frankly, there was projections mm-hmm. um, behind each scene and each location and subtle elements of water were literally thrown in your face. Um, mm-hmm but this one i I didn't and and it made me kind of challenge this quote because i'm like this can be have such a negative connotation to it but i think there is some positivity to that too because Mm -hmm. like seeing it from the negative view it's like yes i started thinking through like is it because, you know, this play isn't your proper, just fully Shakespearean work, like because there's Mm -hmm. another author on top of it and because it's very episodic and the titular character Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily follow the Freytag's pyramid, you know, rise Mm -hmm. and fall. Um, You know, is is it avant-garde for pieces Mm -hmm. that that Johnson maybe again um, had a bit of a distaste for? But then I started thinking about you know the idea of something mold, like something moldy. Well, mold is it's it's a living living being just thriving mm. on on the moisture and and wetness, right? And so, and then I started mm-hmm. thinking about like all the pivotal moments in this piece, like the waterways support the peace. Like the water is the highway to connect mm-hmm. all these people together. Like you have Pericles mm-hmm. sailing to meet Thaisa and then you have like her alone survives in the water. The water is sort of like a cradle for her um, until she is, is resurrected again, right? Marina mm-hmm. brought to um, to live a better life with Dionysa et at, at al. And then um, Marina sailing again to, to reunite with Pericles. So water, in this way harbors all the living beings in the piece mm-hmm. so yes ben johnson pericles is a moldy play and all the better mm-hmm. for it um mm-hmm. and i think because too the the, the there's so many different in, like we've talked about this like innovative and authentic recreation that that can happen with this piece that mm-hmm. makes it even even the fresher you know, so I, I would say, like, if, so if you were to con- con- contrast, like, it, it's a fresh play as opposed to a moldy one, because you're never going to see the same Pericles, you know, mm-hmm. you're never going to necessarily see the same of anything, because you have different actors, mm-hmm. different eras, different time periods, whatever, um, mm-hmm. but because the 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 text can be molded and kind of, mm-hmm. like, um, placed upon a different sea or, or a different climate, uh, it, it, there's a fresh perspective mm-hmm. brought to it, so... I disagree with you, Johnson, but I also, I'm, I'm throwing a positive light in that moldy doesn't necessarily mean bad. So, mm.
0: thank you well, for saying
2: that it's a yeah. moldy play.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, for me, the way I interpreted moldy was, um, how, how do I put it in my notes here? Basically, what, what, what I think Ben Johnson could be referring to as, because this is a later romance, and if you read some of the later romance, it's just like Winter's Tale, Tempest, Simply, which we're going to get into in a bit. But like mold kind of feeds off a host, right? It's one of those things that kind of like I like, like I'm thinking if you put like like moldy food, like it's feeding off this once healthy host and kind of pulling the good nutrients out of it for itself. So almost like Ben is kind of saying, This play is pulling all the good stuff off his other shows. But basically it's just being repurposed into another show here, kinda of doing like almost like a Shakespeare romance highlight room where we have um things like uh, uh, like the evil stepmother, the split plot points uh with like with like like, father daughter uh like there's a lot of ways this play kind of feeds off all these other plays it's a thing of like Mm -hmm. the mold kind of feeding off of the shakespeare canon where like this play is Yeah, go right. My, go, my question years. is, how
1: sophisticated was Ben Johnson's knowledge of microbial biology back in the you early know. 17th century? Did he really no. understand what mold did to the host? Like, I, I don't Sadly, know. I
0: could not find an Elizabethan dictionary <laughs> that said what did moldy actually mean in the Elizabethan era. There were many other Jacobian by this I found. Jacobian, thank you. Uh, Jacobian dictionaries. <laughs> it's like, what did moldy mean to these people? But either way, I think I think it's a fun quote that kind of people have now associated with this way. I mean I mean I mean you could do the Moldy's Adventure of Pericles. That's like, that's like a title of of, of of this play. If you really wanted to really kind of sell it as a Take that ben
5: Johnson.
0: Take that, we're gonna reclaim the word and stick it right in the title. The painfully moldy adventures of Pericles. Yeah. I like that. Okay. All right. So next question we're gonna dive into has to deal with. Uh, incest. So heads up that that is a trigger for anybody dealing with this type of situation or know somebody with that. So we will be talking about this. Uh, but does the incestuous relationship between Antiochus? Antiochus. <laughs> Antiochus, thank you. Does so? So, so does the incestuous relationship between Antiochus and his daughter still work uh, for contemporary audiences? Uh, Jill. Why don't you kick us off on this one? Yes, yeah, so a lot of my oh, go, Ryan. Do you want to jump in? So,
1: so Bridget was raising a hand. Uh, oh, I don't Bridget, know. Oh, no.
0: go. Yeah, no, Bridget, you lead. Woody Allen? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes.
2: <laughs> um, a lot of my uh, plot points we've kind of already touched on too. Um, mm-hmm. So again, I feel like because this particular production was set in the Victorian era. Um, something like this um, this social qualm I guess would have sort of been a bit more of a safety net. it's again not necessarily respected but but again stuff like that would have happened back then. Um, mm-hmm. But I admire kind of like the subtlety that this production had with that that beginning moment. Like, yes, everyone clearly knew what was going on, but I think there was just enough done that um, could be act as a catalyst for for the rest of the show. Mm-hmm. But I have the same viewpoint as um, I had earlier of, there could be a bit, sort of a political point made in this moment of, of this piece as well um, for contemporary audiences and quite, literally uh, could be emphasized or adapted differently. Um, Like it does foreshadow the gruesome images and and, um, sort of nods to assaults that happen throughout the piece. So it does kind of Mm -hmm. set the audience up of like, hey, listen, like these are some themes that are are happening. This is how they're being displayed. Like, you know, you've been warned, here you are. Um, But I almost wonder, like I might be going a bit of a stretch here, but if that whole chunk could be cut And we're kind of starting the play off of Pericles being in despair. The king has died and he's sort of changing in that change of moment of, I want to, he sets off for his adventure, right? It's like this moment does give us a gateway of themes further onto onto the piece and also into Pericles. But I just, maybe cut is, is the wrong approach, but just some sort of like steering even more away from that moment. Cause to me, it didn't really, as a piece as a whole, it didn't really seem like it needed. And even when I read it, I, I see, I'm like, why well, I, I don't understand necessarily why it's needed. So maybe like Bridget, you could even speak to your whole process with with the opening of this piece. Cause quite honestly, like the opening of this piece is one of the ones of Shakespeare's works that that I still can't really understand why we have that as sort of our launching point. So maybe, Bridget, you being in the room with two actual productions of this piece, you can speak to more of that.
3: Well, right or wrong, or how comfortable we are with it, mm-hmm. it was in the original source, right? Yeah. It was in in, in the original story. Mm-hmm. So,
4: mm-hmm.
3: And if we believe that Wilkins wrote the first few acts, a man who ran a brothel, and yeah. was a very savory character, would have no problems starting a play that way.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But
3: I, I would hesitate in eliminating it because mm-hmm. I think what we're exploring is the father-daughter relationship, which Shakespeare was very interested in. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, And so maybe we need to start at, at a very ugly, dark relationship mm-hmm so that we can come to appreciate the the ending so we go f- i think it was paul Edmondson who said this we go from dark to light maybe that's right. part of our adventure mm-hmm. is, is to start somewhere and we have to we have to have a good look at that right i had a thought today too because i did dionysa and you can cut out the previous comment i made but i had a thought that perhaps dionysa Um, was jealous of Cleon's relationship with Marina. He Mm. taught her to play music. He was was, uh, uh, giving her culture, but maybe he was also grooming her. And Mm -hmm. perhaps Darniza was less worried about how her daughter was being ignored, how she possibly was being ignored and replaced.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: And and I wonder if that is, is in there too. Um, I, I didn't think about it even in 2015 or the other time I did it, but watching it again today, I thought um, that there's a dark, there's a darkness to that too, because that was not Cleon who who asked to have her killed. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was the stepmother, and mm-hmm. I, I try to think why a stepmother would do that. Mm-hmm. So that was another thought that occurred to me. But but yeah. uh, just because it's dark, uncomfortable.
4: I don't know. I'm,
3: yeah. I, I'm all for, you know,
0: also presenting it and having the discussion afterward in the meeting. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to piggyback off, off Bridget there because I'm in full agreement with her. I, I don't think you should cut this uh, moment because it's so. I, 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 it happens. I, mm-hmm. I, I hate to say it, but it happens. I mean, uh, there's at least two episodes on every season of Lauderer SVU that deal with some type of incestuous relationship that takes place. It's still very much part of our culture and our world. So I I don't think we should cut it. I'm also, also, I, I also, I think it's a great kind of kickoff point to the story because the play starts with this very incestuous, bad father, daughter relationship. But then the play ends in a bedroom between a father and daughter. But it's a coming, but it's a loving coming together moment. It's a Mm. nice, bookmark moment for this story. And and this whole play, really, like a subtitle could be uh, The Adventures of Fathers and Daughters, Pericles, The Adventures of Fathers and Daughters, because that's really what this show is about. And and, and not every relationship is good, uh, uh, unfortunately, between parents and children. And I think that's really an important thing we have to show because theater's meant to be the mirror for the world. We have to see all sides of our reflections, not just the one we want to see, I that's I, I the whole th- point of it. I mean, the only thing that's a little bit hokey now, I think, is the riddle game that that gets played with the That's in pure... so
1: many Shakespeare plays, though. I know so. it is.
0: Exactly. It totally is.
3: Right. <laughs> it's a, it, yeah. you know, it's a *Merchant of Venice*. Like mm-hmm. yeah, part like the only way that they get yeah. that dead father father's daughter is by mm-hmm. solving a riddle. Yeah. 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 So it's in his plays. I, I yeah. can't mm-hmm. avoid it, but it seems to be. Yeah you know, what works for him, but I guess mm-hmm. exploring all of this, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
3: I don't know. I
2: I'm... I think too, maybe just it's because that that scene, and, and like I said, if we were to talk about moldy in a negative sense, like the moldy moments of Pericles, mm-hmm. maybe being Wilkins' influence of, you know, bringing bringing us down into the more, mm-hmm. Mac, like you were saying, like mm-hmm. stuff that happens in society that we can't mm-hmm. turn a blind eye to, Mm-hmm. I think to me, it's just like, maybe it's such a shock factor that like, we're starting off a Shakespearean piece with someone else's words or someone else's mm-hmm. scenes too. And mm-hmm. so, so, you know, not like talking about it and looking back in it, I think it's just, it's just that like, it's, 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 a, it's another, mm-hmm. it's another voice coming into the piece too mm-hmm. that, uh, that yeah, you're right. Like, like that's mm-hmm. why i kind of was run, going through my head of like, I don't think we should cut it, but just, you know, what, what is some way of combing out, combing out the moments. But I think, yeah, like we, we hit it on the nose, like they, they have to be there to
0: they, support they, going they, forward. They do. I mean, the one thing I will say, I think I would love to see a director kind of work with is finding a way to give a voice to that daughter, because she doesn't have a name in the script. She's just mm-hmm. the daughter. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that's the one sad thing about her is that as the victim of this incestuous relationship that she is, silence. So I, I don't know if there's a way either giving her more of age to just physically on stage, but I think that's the one thing in more modern audience we need to kind of
1: Mac, you dovetailed perfectly into the point, one of the points I was going to make about this. Yay. This Yay. production did that. Mm-hmm. Like what I think, like like uh, we talk about, like, or the way this question is phrased, like, does the incest work for a contemporary audience? Mm-hmm. I, I would just say, like, unabashedly, yes one, like, for all the great reasons you've all brought up, but like the play condemns it from the start. It like doesn't like it frames it as like, a, this is a bad thing that this Batman is doing with his daughter. And, uh oh, if I s- solve the riddle correctly, I'll be killed for slander. And if I, if I don't solve it correctly, I'm killed for being bad at riddles. Um, but it is like framed from the start of like, uh oh, this is a scandal. I need to get away because I can't r- reveal this. But what this production do- does very well is I think, we have a tendency to look at this, at least on the page, and see that, oh, this is a very improper relationship between this father and his daughter. That would be a scandal if that was revealed. But what Scott and like Deborah and Wayne seemed to find in these scenes was that this isn't an improper relationship. This is a father who is abusing his daughter. And the way Deborah played it was like very like leaning into that. She seemed legitimately frightened. She was like hoping Pericles will get the riddle right and like save her. Um, And like there's this one other moment when Antiochus And the script at least has a soliloquy where that was restaged on a bed with her sitting aloof next to him and like not making eye contact, looking away like this production, even if it doesn't give her more lines to really give her that voice still gives a voice to that trauma in the way it was staged here. And I think that is the way to do it for a contemporary audience.
2: Mm-hmm. and also having deborah hay play all of the the women going forward like the not all of the women but but you know like the the prominent women in the pieces later too it again goes back to that giving her a voice right by the end <laughs> going from um the daughter to to marina like you, there's mm-hmm. there's an arc there that's sort of i mean it's not this, we can't say that it's the same woman and you can't say that it's the same character, per se, but just seeing the same actor play that character, there is...
1: And then having sort of... Wayne, Wayne come back as her father Simonides in that later scene. It, it's right. not like we don't have to wait till Marina and Pericles for like the happy father-daughter relationship. We see it with the mm. exact same actors midway through the play.
0: Right, yeah.
1: right,
0: right. Mm. Very smartly done by, by, by Scott Wentworth having that mm-hmm. duality shown throughout. It's wonderful. Yeah. Do we have any more yeah. uh, comments about this topic, or are we ready to I, head into I, our...
1: Yeah. Oh, Bridget's got yeah. one. Yes, go. I have one, too, but I don't know if it's worth getting into. You go first, Bridget.
3: I also point out that Michael Claude mm-hmm. didn't have a good it's, it's interesting who he names and who he doesn't name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I kind of just had a job. <laughs> right. mm-hmm. the, the first, the first uh, princess didn't have a name, and then I didn't mm-hmm. have... A just was called a mod so it that's just it's an interesting thing you know mm-hmm. as an actor to to play these parts and how mm-hmm. you you give them how you find uh you know respect and how you play mm-hmm. them you don't have an actual name mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i thought you know deb's comments about she's got having a conversation where you just she just took off the one veil and she was that princess and then she was mm-hmm. that
4: princess and yeah
3: so she had the luxury of that whole journey sometimes yeah. you know as an actor it's it is great to have a whole journey of all those parts
4: mm-hmm.
3: yeah and, you know because she could she got all of the different mm-hmm. aspects of of the princess the woman the it, it, it was just fascinating all that talk. I, you know, when we're in these rooms, we're not in the rooms for all of the talks, right? And mm-hmm. when we're called, and sometimes if we have time to serve, but maybe we're over here doing a fight call, a um, music mm-hmm. rehearsal, mm-hmm. Actress, <laughs> or or just learning our understanding lines. So, mm-hmm. um, so it, for me, also as an actor in these shows, it's great to listen to these discussions because I I am not privy to all of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Ryan. Back to you. No, it's fine. Okay. Like
1: this is taking a darker turn, so I'm glad you kind of got oh. that in there while we're still on this dark subject. Um, mm-hmm. The thing that the incest in this play, and maybe just how this production staged it, but really just in general, if you were to continue staging it and really wanting to dig into that in future productions of it, the thing that is on my mind around this. Is I don't know if any of you saw Michael Moore recently came out with a new documentary Fahrenheit 119. Not to be confused no, with this. earlier one. That was all about just the the Michael Moore take on the Trump presidency, essentially. And mm-hmm. there's this long sequence in that movie, and he frequently like went on talk shows to really talk about this part in particular that he thought was really important, where he really digs into the Trump Ivanka relationship and the way that like. Mm-hmm we've turned it into a meme that haha the president has a crush on his daughter isn't that funny and that he's a little too inappropriate with her and he touches her inappropriately and michael moore looked at this and frequently said in the documentary and on in the talk show circuit that like this is serious we should not be laughing at this and he like used the example that like if you were an elementary school teacher and a female student came to you and said my father said verbatim quote all the stuff that trump says about ivanka like you would call the police and get that child in social services. So why are we treating this like it's so funny that this that this poor woman has, like, an obviously, like, this is a very complicated relationship because she has, a, in all but name, basically, a cabinet position in her father's administration. And she's very, like, mm-hmm. done well for herself financially, but there's clearly some kind of, like, deep seated abuse or trauma tied up in there that we shouldn't be laughing at. Mm-hmm. And I would be curious to see a future production of Pericles maybe dig into something like that.
0: Mm-hmm that could be very very interesting that my wheel my wheels are spinning so so let's head into the final question of the show uh of this episode which is within the shakespeare canon how does pericles compare with shakespeare's other later romance plays like with the winter's tale the tempest Sibling, and as ryan would consider twelfth night um But but, 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 but like, how, like how how does this show rank within this mix of later works uh bridget, why don't you kind of kick us off on this topic
3: well i I have never done a winter 's tale or theme mm-hmm. mm-hmm. but I've done a lot of olympu and i 've done a couple of paras mm-hmm.
4: um,
3: I think that i I love the the fourteen years or whatever happens in um, Winter's Tale, that also happened in because I love that um, stop time thing where we pick up later. Oh. But I think, I just think that, well, I'm going to say this about all Shakespeare's plays, it endures anything you do to it, mm-hmm. but I think that in some of the panels that I've watched around our production from 2015, is that this one really allows a job to have a great imagination, they can take it mm-hmm. anywhere they want to.
4: Mm-hmm. So
3: I think this one, uh, more than the other ones, just allows you to, to dream and create an adventure mm-hmm. that maybe no one has ever been on before.
0: It, it is just really very unique within his canon. Mm-hmm. I love that. that. That that that's a great answer for for this question. Uh, Jill, where, mm-hmm. where, where 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 does this play stand for you since you've uh, had your upper-year people at school do it and now you've seen this production, so you kind of have a little bit of background on the show, but where where do you rank this?
2: Yeah, so just in comparison to all of those uh, mm-hmm. pieces you had in, in the question itself, I actually found more of contrast mm-hmm. to those pieces because I think it mm-hmm. takes us back to Heracles being less linear. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's an episodic storyline. Um, it's it's less of an obvious transaction between mm-hmm. characters um, than something like the Tempest or Winter's Tale or Cymbeline mm-hmm. um, are. To be honest, I find mm-hmm. Pericles to be less intense. Like there's mm-hmm. no like purposeful like violence sort of. Vengeance revenge plot like our I guess. Yes. And now Ryan, you're going to debate what I'm saying.
1: Like Dionysa, I guess, is what yeah, happened.
2: But, but again, it, that to me, <laughs> yeah. you know, to me, I see Pericles almost as like a bunch of B plots coming together to make an A plot. Yes, you know? good, good way so, of it. So it's like that. Yes, that that is a, a villainous moment, but I definitely think something like The Winter's Tale like has more more of a weight. To, to avenge it was actually kind of like refreshing watching a piece that's not just who's going to die next or like mm-hmm. who's who's in peril next. Um, mm-hmm. But the the root comparison I find with all these pieces and um, I think arguably it can't just be the Tempest, Winter's Tale, Cymbeline, Twelfth Night, Pericles, like, so this comment I'm about to make, there are probably some other works that that will mm-hmm. build into this, but the um, the 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 ferocity and and fireness of females in these pieces, like you have Hermione, you have Imogene, you have Viola, you have Marina, like there's there's a different coloring of of the female character in in his later works, like in the, these later romances, that um, that I, arguably I think aren't you can't say the same of of, of some of his earlier pieces, like. Some, you know, who, quite honestly, too, like like Lady Macbeth. Her name is Lady Macbeth. She doesn't necessarily is not given like a female name, right? And so it's like, mm-hmm. um, I actually had to I had to comb through that a little bit. It was like, wow, it's smacking me in the face that the the, the your, there's um, I don't even want to say it's more of a, I think agency again is just is mm-hmm. just to add to it. There's there's these character these female characters seem. Mm-hmm. more developed than some of his earlier works mm-hmm. and i think that's what what to me at least personally in pericles in the shakespearean canon alongside the fact that it can be a very a very malleable and, and innovative piece um mm-hmm. regardless of when you do it and how you do it um it, it's at the top for me in in that sense because again um similar to these other works. I, I really respect the, the idea of, of, of the female voice actually having mm-hmm. more of a character than some of his other pieces.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, how about you? Is this yes. one you'll add into your uh, like uh, uh, repertoire of things you'll use as a teaching tool?
1: Well, yeah, like when I'm allowed to write a syllabus, I would say maybe. Uh, and Pericles is so often not on the syllabi. Like I'm impressed that Jill, you studied it in school. You said like, because that we don't usually think of it as one of the plays that young undergrads need to have in their repertoire as they enter as good citizens of the theater ecosystem. So um, yeah, I think it's interesting. Like in, it's like why I'm a bit of a stickler about adding Twelfth Night into the, the genre of the late romance in the Shakespeare canon is because it shares the things, the kind of like two or three important ingredients that all of them shares. Shipwrecks characters believed to be dead not actually being dead and a happy ending (laughs) so like uh, and I think yeah Twelfth Night check 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 it counts uh, even if it it maybe straddles the line more of comedy versus romance but yeah like I never had any like major attachment to Pericles prior to this production and I think seeing this one really did sell me on this is like you know it's just it was one of those other ones that like yeah I certainly never studied it in school I just kind of read it on my own during that summer when I read all the Shakespeare plays I hadn't read before, but like, um, yeah, but I think it's interesting. It tells an interesting story that can be done in interesting ways. And yeah, I would like to see it done more often and more creatively and maybe I'll stage that creative Gower version I have up here one day.
5: (laughs) Um, Perfect.
0: Wonderful. I mean, uh, for me, I would definitely move this up in my rankings because I'll be honest, I didn't really know this play before, uh, watching it, I mean, I had read it when it went, when I when I did, when I where I spent a Christmas holiday reading through my Shakespeare canon when you when I got the complete works for Christmas. Uh, so like, I read it once and it was like, okay, done, check, it's off the list. Didn't really stick with me, but I mean, after watching this great interpretation that Scott Wentworth did in this company, kind of brought to life with you, Bridget, uh, it's this has moved up up really high in my rankings. Like, I really like this. Uh, play, particularly when you're ranking like the, the later romance plays because unlike some of these other later romance plays that have these uh, split plots where like in Winter's Tale you have the first part that's that's centered around uh, the father, uh, I, I, I'm forgetting his name, the king. Um, uh, Leontes. Leontes, thank you. Leontes and then the second part of dealing with his with his daughter. Like those feel very separate like they feel like very split storyline same thing with like 12th night like this Sir toby sir andrew and mariah and, and malvolio plot feels very disconnected from the viola duke and olivia plot but here i don't know if it was like scott interpreted it but it was this production felt very cohesive and that's what i like it, it, felt, it, it, felt, it felt like these there were a lot of little mini adventures that wove together beautifully to make this wonderful tapestry of a play and i think that's why i like it so much is is that it's this great kind of whole picture, this epic story that gets told on stage. And I think that's why this has moved so far up in my rankings is because I think this is a really, like, a lot of people think it's a problem play, but I go, no, like this is actually a really wonderful, complete story of, as I said, fathers and daughters. Like it's a really great bit uh, of, of work and I would love to see it done Where I mean, my head's already spinning about ways to do it uh just talking about it Ryan's I, I, like I, I, get in line <laughs> I know Ryan I know I know but I mean I, I mean mind you that being said I would love to see a production of Cymbeline that's mm-hmm. that's one of the Shakespeare plays I've rarely ever seen produced and it's one I would love to kind of see done on stage because I do not remember the last time Stratford did Cymbeline like mm-hmm. it's been a while so I mean I would love to to see that one because that's another one that I've never seen read once the biggest thing i remember is like the evil uh, step or the evil stepmother queen from that story but that's basically it i mean all these plays are great but yeah uh, pericles has definitely moved its way up the roster to at least being in the higher middle section of the canon where i would definitely want to teach some people this i think it's a really wonderful story that needs to be told a little bit more often in the world Mm -hmm. but yeah Mm -hmm. i mean do we have any more thoughts about this Wonderful uh, production we saw, or or about the play itself that we kind of want to leave the audiences with. Are there any final lingering bits of thread we want to kind of tie up in in a, in a pretty bow? I think
2: just like a nod to, I mean, to the the whole company at hand. Like I mm. said earlier, to this, like the chemistry of this cast in particular, and because there were so many um specific moments that, that like you were saying Bridget I even saw mm-hmm. the whole move and I was like I bet you that was just like meticulously choreographed in the best way and you could tell everyone was breathing together mm-hmm. which is lovely um but this was the first time I had ever seen Deborah Hay on stage yet and I just have to do like a little personal nod to her sunshine and and vibrancy on the stage was was so fun to watch mm-hmm. like it was just very very playful again i think mm-hmm. in moments where there was a lot of darker shades she mm-hmm. she brought a lot of light to to her character and so mm-hmm. um yeah i just personally wanted to, to mention that because that 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 stuck that stuck with me and like i like seeing mm-hmm. the the sunshine shininess of of the actor played into mm-hmm. into the characters you know that to me is really important um because you know us actors were humans too and you you could <laughs> tell like there's a lot of not even knowing her, just kind of getting a sense of her in the pre-show chat. And then you, you know that that was part of her brought on stage, you know, even in the dual moments, like she was just, mm-hmm. there was just funsy, flitty moments that um, broke a little bit away from from this just being like a Shakespeare text and and, and being mm-hmm. more personal. And so, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so I just wanted to mention her. I had never seen her before, so I'm glad I'm introduced to mm-hmm. to this wonderful ray of sunshine now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a great. That's great. Yeah. Th- yeah. Once again, this then, cast. Ten I think out of we're ten. seeing
2: her in Shrew as well, right? She's in ta- the version of Taming of the Shrew that we're. She is. Doing too, which will again be a total a switch of mm-hmm. of vibes for her too. So.
0: Yes, she's playing opposite Ben Carlson's Petruchio mm-hmm. in that one. Mm-hmm. So. Good right. pair. it be you. a lot of fun. <laughs> are, 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 are Are You in Shrew, Bridget? Are Are you part of the company for Shrew?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: No. Nope. <laughs> She gets a break from that one.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She,
0: gets, she, she gets
3: a break. I want to back on the fact that Deb Hay is a quality performer. Mm-hmm. Uh, negotiating that brothel scene with her and mm-hmm. and understanding the intimacy of me touching her and her, mm-hmm. and she was just mm-hmm. totally on board and she mm-hmm. wanted to explore mm-hmm. how comfortable that was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So hats off to her, she was lovely to work with, I really enjoyed mm-hmm. uh, As mm-hmm. uncomfortable as that scene was, it, mm-hmm. it was terrific to work with.
2: Yeah, I, I even had something in my notes too to that, Bridget, of, of of if that was brought up, like asking exactly what you just said of, but again, like knowing just a tidbit of you and seeing you in other performances and then being introduced to mm-hmm. her and, and having that, that, like I said, this sunshiny vibe to Deb, it, mm-hmm. it was, I knew like that moment was rooted in so much security and and mm-hmm. honesty and trust and it, it made it like even easier to watch even though the themes mm-hmm. at hand are are so um in, uncomfortable you know so
0: yeah, yeah. wonderful wonderful all, all right everybody I mean we're almost at two hours this is a little this is a little bit shorter than our Macros episode we did <laughs> uh, we're, we're getting better at these. Uh, yeah. But why don't we kind of sign off for the day, but before we go, uh, Bridget, where can people find you if, if they want to get in contact with you?
4: Uh-huh.
0: Follow, follow like, all your uh, festival escapades when the season's back.
3: I'm nowhere now, right? Just never seen mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm pathetically still on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, but I'm not speaking I really back to social media. Mm-hmm. I don't Think that anything I have to say is uh, important, pertinent, or
4: mm-hmm.
3: enlightening at this point in time. Mm-hmm.
4: Um,
3: I, I, so you can find me on those platforms, but I, I, there's nothing I'm really contributing to any conversation right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was heartened by reading the comments that were um, posted during the party. Mm -hmm. And I want to just echo what people are saying, that certainly in a pandemic at this time when we are separated by oceans, countries, provinces, whatever, from our loved ones, Mm -hmm. that there is something feeling about this production which gives us hope, you know, Mm -hmm. the reunion will be that much better.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that i i bridget that was that's beautiful well said, well said mm-hmm. uh, Jill, where can people find you
2: yeah um it's similar to bridget i'm I'm not as active as as I usually am per se, um but Instagram would be the best platform to catch me. Uh, my artist' Instagram mm-hmm. is at jillian dot robinson nine six and um yeah, as mac mentioned earlier was recently took on the position of General Assistant at Cup of Hemlock Theatre, so hop on over there if Mm -hmm. you would like. Um, And I am looking forward to recording our um, production of Ghosts via Mm -hmm. the Zoom Room. I will be playing Mm -hmm. Mrs. Elving, so Mm -hmm. um, that's sort of like a project I'm working on. And down the pipeline too, I'll be working on um, the Laramie project, Mm -hmm. um, spearheaded by Autumn Smith, um, Mm -hmm. and all proceeds will be going um, benefit funds will be going towards Muskoka Pride during this time um, that's where Autumn resides and so she's mm-hmm. kind of gotten a bunch of old cast mates together and people that we've worked with and also new faces and so that's that project will be happening after Ghost so
4: I'm,
2: mm-hmm. I'm fortunate to be a part of that too but so I will be posting a lot of what I all just said at my Instagram account <laughs> at Jillian.Robinson96
0: love that wonderful Ryan give us your usual message we well, love hearing it <laughs> Joe basically
1: summed it up but yeah you can't find me on social media because aside from Facebook that I don't want strangers sending me friend requests on um, I'm not on any of the others um, but yeah you don't need to follow me just send out love to Cup of Hemlock unless you want to hear that water freezes at zero degrees Celsius fun fact <laughs> um, um, but that's all I have to say on the matter
0: <laughs> wonderful 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 and- and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, for me, you can find me at all social media platforms at Mackenzie Horner. Uh, just look for the guy with the ginger hair. You can follow me in all my escapades that I'm doing, whether it's marketing with Cup of Hemlock or doing stuff on the podcast. As of today's recording, we released uh, uh, an episode all about the musical 1776, in honor of the signing of Independence Day and Canada Day 2. It's a, it's a week of national pride so so we released the musical all about that and we discussed all types of fun stuff like is this musical better than hamilton tune in to find out what our thoughts are on that (laughs) um but yeah we do all that type of fun stuff and i will say tune in next friday uh because that's when we will will be releasing our recorded our 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 our, our recording of ghosts by Henry Kesson, or correct. as in
1: cup of hemlock, not before yes. the downbeat. Just yes. to yes. clarify. Yes, no.
5: yes. <laughs> yes.
0: Sure. yes. correct. <laughs> Add
1: a of comment of in production. there.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Cup of hemlock's production, our, our polished reading production of *Ghosts*, directed by our lovely artistic director Will Bartley, featuring um, a number of people who, who um, just who you've seen on our panel uh, so far, including Rachel Fisher, uh, yourself, Jill, uh, um, Edmund Clark, uh, and also Alex Osborne, who will be coming up in our next episode when we head off to Egypt and discuss uh, Antony and Cleopatra. So be sure to tune in for that. We got a lot of great uh, things to discuss for that episode. And we can say, Bridget, that you will, you will be back for one more episode this uh, this series. So be sure to keep an eye out for when Bridget's gonna be coming back because we've got a really fun final appearance uh, for, for uh, that we're gonna be, Accumulating towards, so be sure to season
2: finale, yeah. if you may.
1: Maybe not the season finale; it's still in flux. The <laughs> right. timeline. True, true, true.
0: <laughs> <That> <laughs> we just talked
1: about this, guys. Come on.
5: <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. An but, yes, ultimate two, finale. <laughs> two, three,
0: finale. <laughs> an ultimate slash finale, depending on the schedule. But yes, Bridget's coming back for one more. So be sure to keep an eye out for that, because we we loved having you, Bridget. We can't wait to do the next one with you, because I'm really excited to get in get into that yes. particular. Mm-hmm play Because you and I have a very special connection to it, so yeah. we'll, be able, we'll be able to talk about that and also and also the production as well. So be sure to tune in for that. But until next time, everybody, thank you. Wow, my cup got stuck there. Thank you all <laughs> so much for tuning in for another episode. We'll see you all next week with angie and Cleopatra.
5: Stay, thank stay you, hydrated. Bye. <laughs>